Welcome to the Private Corporate Counsel Podcast. My name is T. Prasad. I'm a lawyer, mediator, and business consultant at Private Corporate Counsel, a law firm in Central Florida representing small and medium-sized businesses. Today on the Private Corporate Counsel Podcast, we have the pleasure of talking to Devin Patel. Uh, Devin deals with wealth management, has a tremendous amount of experience helping small and medium-sized businesses and the entrepreneurs with the growth and development issues, and specifically dealing with transitional issues and helping them uh, with succession issues and other important issues that entrepreneurs need to uh, consciously think about uh, as they move through their personal life cycle and their professional life cycle and their business life cycle. Del- Devin, welcome. It's great to have Thank you. Thank you. Oh, glad to be here. Thank you. So, Devin, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you have an interesting background. Uh, you've, you've, uh, you have an international flavor about you. Um, tell us a little bit about, about your background, where you're from, and uh, how did you end up here? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I, I grew up in the UK. So I grew up in a house where my mother actually ran a pharmacy. It was one of those uh, three-story um, you know, business, live in your business type uh, families that we had. And so my mother actually got an offer, sold her business, and we came over to the U.S. And so my uh, family invested, uh, not at the best time, and uh, right before 9-11 in the hotel industry. And um, so I kind of grew up in a, a household that went through a little bit of not the Great Recession, but uh, a little bit of hurt during those few years where my parents were really trying to retire. And um, that was their goal coming over here. And then, um, so I grew up in Celebration, um, so kind of in, in the region of Orlando, and I actually grew up playing golf. And so I was very competitive from a young age. I've always been uh, really, really competitive. My sister and I played um, junior golf, uh, won state championships actually in the state of Florida wow, with my team. Yeah. And um, and then we actually um, all played Division One uh, college golf. So I mm-hmm. played for University of South Florida, just not too far from here in Tampa. Yeah. And um, I ended up there after actually having a rough couple years at Mercer University in Georgia. Sure. So um, that was a kind of a big shifting point for me. Actually, I was really big in numbers. I grew up um, being uh, from the school of Kumon and mm-hmm. really understanding how to you know produce numbers quickly and making sense out of them. And so that was a really big thing for me when I wanted to go into a career is to be able to integrate that. And I was really excited about the engineering school. And so that was my focus when I went to Mercer University, ended up playing a lot better golf than maybe they anticipated. So um, out of the gate, I was one of the top freshmen in the country. So I competed at every event and I missed a lot of classes that didn't really allow me to make up because it was a small private school. Uh So they kind of forced me into the business school. And so I figured from there, you know, a pivot, uh, especially when I have a lot of other good things going for me. But my culture is um, always having education and background is, is what my parents instilled in me is why I want to still go to college and not just be a professional golfer. And so I figured, hey, if I'm going to go work for money for the rest of my life, I'm going to go learn everything I can about it. And so that's kind of set me on this path. And uh, I've been really grateful ever since. And so. Yeah, you know, it's interesting uh, when we think about uh, people's blueprints. Uh, you're, 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 you're of Indian descent. Yes. Um, and your parents are obviously uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, and so w- when you look at your, your mom and your dad, your mom certainly had that entrepreneurial spirit. Did your dad have the entrepreneurial spirit as well? Yes. Now maybe he was, he was the bigger dreamer. Uh, my mom was the, the more of the realist. So it, um, it made for a great couple, um, that, you know, when they were, um, in a good dynamic, they, they really thrived, but they didn't really know the cycles of the economy here. And, and that was where they really didn't get the best advice. And, um, you know, from a lot of angles I've learned, uh, you know, it takes good professionals to really succeed. Uh, you well, need well I mean, certainly having the right professionals help you minimize, uh, if not avoid the dump tax. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so when I'm, look, <laughs> when I'm looking at you and I'm looking at your experience and your trajectory, and I look at the blueprints that your mom and dad had, at least the entrepreneurial blueprint, and they seem to have imprinted some of that blueprint on you. Oh, yes. It's uh, the school of hard knocks. You know, it's um, no one's going to get up and do the work for you. You've got to go do that. Um, But at the same time, um, you know, really a lot of things I've learned from them what not to do, you know, when when it comes to trusting or, you know, just letting things kind of fall at will. It's um, 
it's one of those things where planning is a big part of being successful, uh, yeah. being able to really uh, put the time in up front and make sure these things are very solid. I think I had a mentor uh, who really helped my family in guiding them out of a lot of the mess that they went through. And he always used to say, inspect what you expect. And I've always, that's always lived with me. Um, inspect what you expect. expect. I like that. I might steal that. Yeah. So whether it's an investment, you know, or just a family decision, there's always a way to think through that. And um, so having good tools and mentors and just the, the space to think through those things can just transform your life and the trajectory that it's going. So um, I, I was just really grateful for that experience right out of college, being able to work with an entrepreneur that had that vision. And um, it's really, it, I was able to transform so many lives, especially, you know, in, in these transitions you're going through, they're not just because sometimes you wanted to go through that. It's because, you know, uh, they're cutting jobs or, um, you know, you're forced out of a certain industry. There's just, or divorce. I mean, there's a lot of things that come up mm -hmm. in someone's life. So yeah. Being able to partner with someone as early as we can and, and get to know them. And um, those are things I, I felt my parents were missing until they they weren't. Yeah, know? it's interesting how you become the person that you become. Uh, you know, you, you certainly have these experiences as a child, uh, seeing your parents operate businesses, seeing your dad be the dreamer, see your mom being the realist, uh, living in a house that was on top of the business itself yep. um, and, and, and being involved in the daily experience of the business, seeing the customers coming in, seeing the, 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 the owners, your parents actually tend to the customers, seeing them deal with vendors, uh, seeing them uh, deal with taxes and government agencies and things like that. You can't avoid it. It's there. Well, that was the biggest one. I, if, if I can jump in, I, um, just to kind of put an emphasis there, it's, it was amazing for me. My first year out um, in the industry, I, I did well. We were selling insurance and, um, you know, I was what they called a million dollar roundtable producer. So, you know, I made six figures for someone straight out of college yes. when you're Not typically making 20 to 50 K in our, our industry. It wasn't a bad gig, but I went to uh, a relationship, our family and a lot of people I know work with, and it was um, an H and R block. And uh, I said, what can I do to save taxes? And the answer I got was get married have kids and or go buy a house. Mm -hmm. These are ways you can save taxes. So I went back to who I've been working with, who's my mentor, and I said, these are what the things I was told. And he said, well, um, unfortunately, <laughs> from someone who's gone through each of those things, yes. that is not going to save you money. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of went on a path. And um, even he had what he thought was a good CPA, um, where we found there's just a lot of holes, right? There now is over 88,000 pages of tax code. So for any individual to know how that can apply to a, an individual is impossible. And then take that into the complexity of, of a business. It's even harder. And so that's where I really specialized uh, working with small businesses and helping them realize just you know, you're working this hard, you're making all of this money and the easiest place you can just focus a little bit of time on mm -hmm. is taxes. Um, and the, the thing that, you know, I would say a lot of people, um, you know, they don't know where to go and how to find a good tax person. It's really is the person getting with you after January 1. Yeah, well, but before, maybe, I'll, you know? I'll get to that in a few, so, but I, I really want to focus on you more so than I want to focus on uh, on these other people, I'm just a, sure. I'm trying to trying to really get the gist of your journey okay. uh, from where you were to where you are right now, and and I see the influence from mom, I see the influence from dad, I see the influence from the business that you saw them grow and develop and eventually sell in order to come to the United States. I I see that uh, you you started out wanting to be an engineer and then got shuffled into business school, um, and, and that may be a good fortune on your part. Um, and who knows, you might've been the next guy to invent something that's <laughs> extraordinary if you'd stuck with the engineering program, but in the business world, you know, Steve job wasn't an engineer. Yeah. Uh, and, and so he did, he did okay for himself. Yeah. Uh, Warren Buffett's not an engineer and he did okay for himself. Uh, so uh, I don't know if, if, if that's helpful or not helpful, but, but so you've got this business knowledge that you have just intuitively from your parents and you're seeing them. You've got the formal business education and then you go into the workforce and you're working in industries now and you've got to figure out 
the the, the nuts and bolts of those industries. Sure. How long did it take for you to be at a point where you felt comfortable with the core knowledge of that industry, um, uh, where you felt that, okay, it's all coming together now? I'd say it took a little while. I mean, I, I talk with regularly a friend of mine who's just newer in the industry, and he feels like there's just so much to learn still. And I would agree with him. It, it took me probably at least somewhere between, you know, seven to 10 years, almost a decade before. So you had to put in your 10,000 hours. Yes. You had to go through just experience, right? I, I was fortunate though. We, you know, we were pretty active in the business I was working in and I probably met over a thousand people a year. So um, we were really getting in front of a lot of different situations, scenarios, and uh, you, you learn almost more from other people than sometimes they learn from you. Yes. Um, and so that was a cool way for me to really build my experience. And I can, I can assure, you know, maybe not everyone has that like experience in this industry. They're not exposed to that level of, you know, um, advanced planning and strategy. And it's, um, what did you do to deliberately put so. yourself in a position to be exposed to those things and learn about them? Yeah. I, um, I, I saw my parents pick up a book off of, um, this gentleman they heard on the radio. My mom heard him say, you know, how you can learn to not lose money to the stock market and how to not, you know, have to unnecessarily pay taxes. I can on tell you retirement. how to not lose money in the stock market. Don't put your money. In <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, it's also a great strategy <laughs> as well. And, um, but it's, it's definitely one that, um, you know, picked up my mother's attention. She went to my father and said, you need to learn this, you know, mm -hmm. listen to what he's teaching. And so after they went down that route and it, it really did help them in a lot of ways, um, learning these strategies. So, uh, help them sleep at night, pay off debts and, and do things within their business they never even dreamt of doing. And so um, I just took my resume when my parents were doing a review with him. And I said, I'm just going to ask you, you know, if, if you'd be willing to let me work with you. And he uh, said, yeah, you know, let's kind of tore my resume in half and sure. said, let's just go talk. And yeah. from there, you know, they say the rest is history, but we partnered and I really took uh, a lot of when you talk about engineering and my I was really good at coding and computers and understanding components. I took that into the financial industry. So how we could basically adapt not only technologies, investments, client mm -hmm. relationship, you know, all these different things that integrate within the business, but making it just more efficient and um, bringing it into the yeah. 21st century, too. because um, and, and that's important, too, because, you know, a lot of people just don't realize that when you get to a certain point, you didn't get there because you're just doing one thing. You got there because you're taking all of your life education, experience, relationships, indoctrinations, environments, yes. and you're melding it together somehow to improve upon what's there. And that's what I guess we call freshness. Yeah. Uh, or being creative and, and uh, some people uh, call it being just incredibly nerdy. Um, well, I, I mean, look, kind of where that's I not, that's not a bad word, though, by the way. Uh, <laughs> oh, that, I mean, I think we all know, I think we're all nerds. I don't care yes. who you are. You're a nerd about something. You have to be. And if yes. you're a jock, you're a nerd about being a damn good baseball player or a damn good basketball player yeah. or a football player or whatever the sport may be, because it does take a lot of fine tuned knowledge about that particular thing to be successful at it. So we're all nerds. So yes. I would wear that with a badge of honor. <laughs> I do. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, something um, everyone in our firm actually kind of enjoys about one another is yeah. we're just a, a group of nerdy individuals who wake up every day and all we want to do is help people um, yes. and, and advise them around their complexities. And not everyone wants to do that um, or gets enjoyment out of it. Well, but, I mean, every, uh, everyone has their own lane, I suppose, exactly. and, and we all have different interests. Um, uh, that's why Gilbert, our, our, our guy here who's helping us out today, is is doing what he does because he really enjoys that. I think he's a, he's a marketing uh, techno uh, video audio nerd. Yes. In the best sense of the word. Marketing um, genius, and, yes. And, uh, you know, uh, we have a guy who does taxes, and in the best sense of the word, he's a tax nerd. Um, and, uh, and so I think, like I said, wear it with a badge of honor. I think everyone, if they're real about themselves, uh, they would be lucky enough to be called a nerd in their specific field or chosen occupation. So, so you go through this experience and then you get this job and, and walk us through that journey in this job to where you were when you started off the job sure. and, uh, and, and how you got to the point you are now or where you are now. 
Yeah, so it was a really great opportunity. You know, it was a small firm, uh, one advisor, and he was really trying to grow. He had a lot of success, and um, he, he was partnered with a gentleman who really did a lot of his marketing for him. And so I saw, you know, someone who had a great personality, and he could he could do everything that he was basically paying this other person to mm-hmm. do. And so, um, you know, we we basically were able to just take a lot of more things on our own. And I, I was willing to put in the time and not just work the nine to five, maybe get up earlier or stay later just to time up some of the things we needed around our marketing. But it really allowed us to excel. And in, in less than three months, we really took a lot of things that we were able to automate and accelerate the revenue almost 10 times. Mm-hmm. And so I went really quickly from an internship position to, hey, you know, I want to integrate you into every facet of our yes. business. You, and so you demonstrated your value. Yeah. So, and I, I just, I'm one for reverse engineering things. I love, I love to understand why they work, how they work and take them apart. Cause um, you know, everything's different uh, when you, when you break them apart. Yes. And so, especially under this hood, um, it was a great business and, and I really just had a passion for the time that we took with clients. And that was a, a big thing that everybody would say that, you know, no one's just taken the time and um, asked these kinds of questions or really gotten to know us. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what, um, you know, I think today, especially with technology, you can really lose. It becomes a little disingenuous. Uh, so that was what was a fine line I, I learned because at least my generation, a lot of us grew up without cell phones at some point. So being able to sit down and, and shake someone's hand and have a real relationship with the them human element. is a big big thing when it comes to actually advising them and being a trusted, what they used to call before financial advisors were around, right? It was a family advisor. And so that's, that's what we look to do, but um, it was, um, it was not, not easy early on, right? Cause um, you don't have all the resources. So mm-hmm. you have a certain amount of resources and you can only do what you can with those. But what was great was the partnership I had with that firm. They, they really, gave me almost a blank check of resources. And, and so I was able to do a lot. And well, you had grew. to have built up a lot of trust with, uh, uh, with the owner of the firm in order to do that. Sure. Um, and obviously you, you, you did a good job in demonstrating your skills and your knowledge and your abilities um, and your dedication and your focus and all those things that really made you extremely valuable to them. Did there come a time that you decided, Hey, I've learned as much as I can here. I've, 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 I've contributed as much as I could. I need to have another opportunity in my personal growth and development phase. There did. It, it was really when, you know, I took took to really developing our firm and building out uh, a really white glove service. So whether it was taxes or estate planning, whatever the issues were, we were able to really be that go-to for the clients so that they were number one, not getting misled or overpaying for just a lot of things they didn't need or um, getting things that they they didn't know they needed, mm-hmm. and so um, it was great doing that. But once once it's just two people doing everything for everyone, um, and you grow a pretty sizable book, it really becomes difficult from a resource angle, um, hiring people, and so that was a thing that I I knew I was going to continue to butt up against no matter what level we grew at. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of research and looking at you know companies' growths and sizes, and especially. You know, I was I was an owner in my book, and I was developing it, and I I thought I'd done very successful um, in in that growth, mm-hmm. and not losing the touch with my clients. That was the biggest thing. But um, but to scale up, you're going to lose some of that control. Well, I was I was just married, and so I was um, really struggling mm-hmm. with, like you talk about the the family life cycle was not being there for my wife enough. So she she has a really difficult field she's in, and. Um, not easy hours. And so um, she needs a really strong partner, someone there. Remind us again, what does your wife do? So she's an ER doctor. Mm -hmm. So her schedule Uh, is very, very difficult. It's grueling. Yeah. 20, you know, 12 hour shifts um, back to back to back to back Mm -hmm. in a row. And they're at just odd hours. Sometimes they don't even schedule them. But not not only the time, but just, just the emotional impact of the people that come through the ER on a on an hourly, if not minute by minute basis. Well, and it was really big for us because of COVID. So there was a lot of things that weren't 
really thought out. Um, so everywhere it was different during that that period. For someone coming just freshly out in the emergency department, um, you know, it really did hit her hard with all the, yeah. these things that she just had no control over at some point, no matter how, um, you know, much she wanted and cared for this patient to get the care they need. Uh, there's just so only so many resources, again, that right. they're afforded. Yeah. So well, that's interesting. So you, you're coming in with your ambition. You're coming in with the jobs that you have to do that are functional, that are emotional, that are social. You're coming in with the pains and frustrations that you're dealing with, with the gains that you're looking for. Uh, and you're you're really a, a, an ambitious guy. You have aspirations for yourself. Now you have aspirations for your family. Now you have aspirations for the people that you work with and the people that and the clients that you serve. Um, and and you've got to navigate all of that with your blueprint. And then you you, you fall in love with this wonderful lady <laughs> who has her own set of jobs and pains and gains and and really ambitious in her own right um, and have aspirations. And she's dealing with these issues. And then what? How how much different could those blueprints be? And then you had to meld them together. Well, and then to add in the mix, um, so we met online actually through a dating app, mm -hmm. and she was in Norfolk, Virginia. So I would I would travel back and forth yes. to see her. So having to really those nine to fives and be strict was very difficult to transition to with the the partnership and, and the the structure we had. Yeah. So it wasn't easy for us to go on a vacation somewhere and her see me get up at 5 a.m., mm -hmm. you know, on my computer pounding out emails yes. just because I'm the type of person, even if it's a weekend, the client has a concern. I, I don't want to let them just sit on that, especially mm -hmm. if it's information that you want they at can least, use. You, you want to at least meet the client's expectations, but exceed those as well. Yeah. So I always had that. I'm getting back to them within 24 hours. That yeah. was always just, I would never That's go. That's part of your identity. Home. Yeah, that was what goes ingrained by, yes. by the the firm and, and the person I have yeah. to give it to that I worked with. He yeah. he said, "There's if you're going to work with me, this is just one way I, I work." And he wouldn't kind of let you go if what he needed to get done wasn't going to get right. done. Yeah. So that's what also made it difficult for us to find you know people that were willing to go because that the depth. same work ethic wasn't it wasn't it's the not there. Yeah, and and that's the one thing we used to laugh. Clients would say is it's just sad that. You know, today in this world we're in, showing up is almost like half the battle. That's right. Because um, we, you know, we had that touch, whether we sent an email, we would call them right away to make yes. sure they received it or um, just stay, stay in a, a touch with them. And yeah. that's just, well, I mean, that, that's, that, yeah, and we could, we can spend 10 hours talking <laughs> about that subject. Yeah. Now, now, getting back to you and your wife and you get together and you're, you're sort of dealing with this and you are moving from one organization now to the next organization. Tell, tell us about that transition while being mindful about the, your relationship, with your yeah. relationship life cycle. And now you have a new baby. Mm -hmm. uh, now you have an entirely new family structure and that family life cycle. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's um, it's been fantastic. I got to say, uh, I'm just a really lucky man to have a partner who I can just be very open with, communicate like, like these decisions, the concerns, the growing pains, like all all the things that were leading up to the, the decision that I made to transition, she was a part of anyway. Made so, the decision uh, more reasonable, more easier. Exactly. And and because we were talking over the years of having a family and, um, you know, doing the things that we're doing now, mm -hmm. it just, um, we wanted to make sure that, you know, we weren't putting stress in our lives in the wrong places. And so it just, like you said, made it even easier because the right opportunity came. I mean, it wasn't, an easy one. Um, to this day, I'm still very close with the firm that I worked with, and um, I stay in touch with them. Um, both the sons of the owner now are part of the firm, so they're um, always in touch, also asking for, for some help, um, stuff that I used to handle. But it's um, it's just been awesome because, yeah, if, if you, especially the challenge I think a lot of us have, um, dynamics with husband and wife is the finance yes. piece especially from someone who's, you know, arguably on a higher level of education around the finance world than my wife. Um, it, it did make it a, a challenge right away, but I, I learned, Hey, you know, this is, this is more of an opportunity to, to really help educate her. Mm -hmm. If I can see it that way, it's only going to make our life that much better. Yeah. And so every single decision, no matter the smallest uh, thing we're buying, she's included in the relationship on just because it's, 
you know, it just works that way. I've learned is yeah. if you're on the same page. Well, good. So you make this transition, and then your family's on board. Your wife is fantastic, and she's uh, she's very supporting. You make this big transition, moving from uh, this the initial platform that you're on, uh, that you thought was a great opportunity. You learned a lot. You contributed a lot, um, and then this other opportunity comes up. What was that opportunity, and and uh, and what did it take for you for them to convince you that that was the right opportunity? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, so it was one of those things that you're just kind of saying, this sounds too good to be true. And every time I told my wife, this is what I learned from you know, the person that was interviewing yeah. me, she said that just, I'd, I'd get that in writing and uh, everything got followed up with. And it took 10 interviews. So it was one of those things. I just was kind of not sure I would continue down that road if they continued to take that long to decide. I mean, it was almost six months worth of, um, you know, going through these rounds. But from the standpoint of realizing if it was a, if the right decision, um, I definitely can say that now. Um, whenever you're going through a change, there's always things that you question that you did I not make the right decision or kind of, hey, maybe I missed some of the things sure. I used to do, you know, that we're that creature of yeah. comfort. But Pushing myself, and really that's what everyone in this firm has done. They're extremely professional, but extremely sharp. And so they they keep me very on point. And so I'm not, you know, like a lot of the things we used to take a couple hours to do and, and work through with clients now, we're able to really bottom line it and make it much more efficient for clients who are making decisions, especially in the complexities that come up in, in their yeah, and, lives. And, and, and so you, you transition over here. Now tell me, what is it that you actually do sure. um, at your firm? And uh, who, which customer segment is the customer segment that you focus on? And, and what is the value that you bring to them? Yeah, so our firm, Bernstein, uh, we focus on really ultra high net worth individuals. Now, it, that can vary in just a lot of different ways, right? You've got athletes and entertainers, global families, yes. uh, business owners, entrepreneurs. And so that's one of the things that attracted me being a global family. My family grew up in uh, Kenya and then they migrated over to India, then to the UK and yes. then here. So we have accounts kind of all over the world mm -hmm. and a pretty crazy estate plan that you have to really know uh, different complexities to, to work with. Mm -hmm. Most of the competitors out there, like the banks, they've kind of pulled out of that international space. So it's really something I valued was a firm that leaned in into that space. And so really helping partner, give advice in those areas with, you know, specialists and sure. attorneys that know uh, a lot of those things as well. And so it's been a really great um, way for me to add just resources to a lot of the businesses and the people that I've just grown up around. Yeah that have helped me. And so um, it's a lot of, for me, everything is alignment and making sure that, you know, I'm, I'm working with a team or individuals that kind of all live and breathe the same way too. Cause like I said, like if I don't get up um, and get something done or it's not done before I leave, it's um, it's tough. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to have a group of resources, no matter what the complexity is. And so, so it was um, really their work ethic their systems, their processes, their procedures, uh, their culture that really convince you, in addition to obviously the financial package, uh, yeah, to, to go to to make that leap and say, this is the right spot. Yeah. And, and to answer your question, right, like what we do is manage money, right? But that's all we do. So we've for 57 years have only managed money on behalf of clients. And so we don't do anything else. We're not a bank. We're not leveraging our balance sheet from the standpoint of like really true unconflicted advice. That's what we do. And when it, when you look at us in against wall street, we are, and we do have the size and the power of those large firms. we manage over $800 billion. Mm -hmm. But the difference is like in our private wealth division, it's just really geared more to the complexities. We partner actually with attorneys, accountants, for the benefit of their clients sure. and just do a lot of uh, planning work uh, with those different teams. And so we kind of really are geared towards, you know, right now, $20 million or, or higher. But what's great is, and this is where a lot of the competitors won't do is they won't go below a million, let's say, if they're working with an entrepreneur sure. or a business owner who, you know, 
they have that spirit. They, you know, this person is going to, no matter what happens, they're going to find a way. That's what business owners do. And yeah, maybe they only have 200, 500,000 saved today, but they may sell a business five, 10 years from now sure. for 20 million or more. Mm-hmm. Those are the people we can come in and really help them, right? With partnerships and relationships. And so um, that was what really I liked was the collaboration and just the ability to not like a lot of firms, it's, it's you know, they say, oh, well, we're just not going to work with uh, CPAs and, and accountants. And yeah. it's just kind of, I think, closed minded. Because well, that's interesting because, you know, a lot of a lot of professionals have the theory and and, um, and the philosophy is we've, you, you eat what you kill yeah. and you go out there and you get the big clients and, and you go after them and, and that's it. But what you're talking about is more of a eat what you harvest mentality. Uh, you recognize the potential in an entrepreneur or an athlete or, or someone who has that potential to be a high um, income earner. Um, and you've, you initiate that relationship, you foster the relationship, you help build that relationship, and you help them succeed. And when they succeed, obviously, you succeed. Yeah, and we we usually, um, you know, there's all the different names you're familiar with out there. We're usually one of the few that come in, in you know, that liquidity when they do actually get that success. And yeah. it's uh, it's an honor, you know, but it's also what we think is a b- really big privilege. And so with the research that we do, you know, being the large firm and the scale that we are globally, um, we found, right, investments are really table stakes. Mm-hmm. Now, I will argue for business owners, no one is more thoughtful from an asset allocation standpoint than our firm. And the reason I think why is because of all the other firms out there, our competitors, most of them are distributors. They're not um, the actual managers. They're using you know five to 10 different managers in yes. their equity and bond sleeves and they're, they're, you name it. They're almost like um, a broker. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So we're the, we're the only manager. So if we don't do something, we'll partner with somebody or we'll buy someone who does. And so that's what allows us to not only be thoughtful, but to have insights Mm -hmm. that we can link to experiences from business owners, clients we've worked with for 50 plus years, right? And all solely doing is giving them advice around their complexities. We can take that knowledge and apply it to each individual. Well, tell me about the advice for a minute. I I know that it's financial advice. I know it is um, financial investing. What other type of advice do they come to you for? What other types of advice do you give them? Yeah, it, it's um, you know a lot to do today with families, right? So when you're working with a lot of successful business owners, you end up with multi-generational wealth typically that can last for, for generations. So successful so planning is a very hot topic. It's it's big and it, it ties into you know their their values and their um, you know their their really deep you know. Core, yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, if if I'm the beliefs. business owner and I have uh, my children or my grandchildren, uh, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, uh, how do I continue my belief system, my values, yes. um, and how do I instill those upon uh, my children and my grandchildren, and and even beyond that, no, so how do I imprint my blueprint as far as I can go? Yeah, and and that's right on the note. So we we actually help families develop their own family constitutions, mm-hmm. and we take the time. We'll actually bring a whole team of professionals. This is all they do for our really sophisticated clients and families, and sits down and really, you know, because to us we think it's disingenuous to just offer up an allocation without truly understanding the values and the core beliefs of this family. Um, So we actually, we've developed tools and cards that even our professional partners, attorneys, accountants now use with their clients to really understand what are their priorities and values and then aligning the plans that really work around that. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, sometimes, yeah, we may have an idea for this case, what might fit, but if we don't ask the right questions and know three, five, 10 years out, what they really are planning, um, or even 15, 20, 25 years, there's a lot of bad advice that could be given. But that's interesting that you say that because, you know, most people, when they develop their value proposition, they're looking at the jobs that people have and the pains that they have and the gains that they want, and they're building their value proposition, which are their goods and services, to help them do the job 
help them reduce that pain or get them the gain that they want. Yeah. And and the the ones that are the good at it, they will even go a little step further and they look at your aspirations for yourself and for your circle of influence and help you make progress towards those aspirations. But the ones who really hit it out of the park, they take time to understand the tribes that these people belong to, the culture within the tribes, the belief systems, and the values. And when they look at the cultural uh, aspects, it's not about anything else except respecting them and the tribal things to connect with them. But when they look at the belief system, is about seeing things through their customers' eyes. And when they look at the value, it's about aligning those goods and services with the values that these customers have. And exactly. what you what you what I hear you saying is that that's where your firm focuses a lot of the attention because it's taking it for granted that you understand the jobs, you understand the pains and the gains and the aspirations, and you're helping them do the jobs, minimize the pain, get the gains they want, to make progress towards the aspirations. That's a given, yep. and you expect everyone to do that. And if that's all you're doing, you're not being competitive enough. So you have to focus on this outer ring of connecting with them as tribal members, understanding their culture and understanding their belief system and understanding their values. And that's your differentiator. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll tell you, I just got back from a trip where we were referred a, a deal. Very interesting. Uh, two brothers that, you know, out of college developed this just billion-dollar company. And uh, they, you know, kind of laugh that they, they tried to do it again. It might be near impossible um, just to kind of get as lucky as they did in, in this specific space. Yeah. But, um, you know, one of the brothers, he's kind of already on his gear of exactly what the next deal is, mm -hmm. what he's doing with this money. The other is just completely frozen, has no concept of what to do because he doesn't think again, like he'll ever make this amount of wealth. Yes. So he should just kind of be grateful. Interesting and belief systems, on. right? Yeah. You have one whose belief system is, wow, there's so much more I can do with this. Yes. And the other was like, I better safeguard this because this will never come around again. And so one has an empowering belief system. The other one has a limiting belief systems. They're brothers. So you expect they would have the same blueprint or it's very similar, but they don't. Yeah. No, you're right on. And and that's that's what it's it's very tough too, because the other brother who's very concerned, doesn't know what to do, the the other brother's sending him all these deals, trying to kind of rope him over <laughs> into the same deals that he's getting into. But he, it's his his belief system is so core. Yeah. So we we actually just spent, which uh, we're not getting paid for a dollar of this work, but just, you know, in the long-term game that we play, we believe we will. Yes. Because it's not about picking the right stocks or bonds for him here. It's about doing deep discovery work to truly understand what does the future look like for him through sure. his eyes. And a lot of people just aren't willing to take that time. Um, you know, they have their models. They want to do things a certain way. And that's what really attracted me to this firm is that's our that's our angle is yeah. we're not trying to sell anybody products or stick things in their portfolio for any other reason than it's because it really aligned with their at least objective, their goal, their priorities. Well, that's interesting. You values. did say, and I, I agree with you 100% on this. Many people don't have an idea of what their 2.0 is. In fact, many of us don't even know what our 1.0 is. You ask someone concretely, tell me about yourself. Where are yeah. you? No, they'll start that. talking about their job. Yeah. No, I love or that they'll you... start talking about one or two things. But if you break it down and says, look, let, tell me about your 1.0. Here are your internal factors. What's your knowledge base? What's your skill base? What relationships do you have? Uh, what resources do you have? What tools do you have? If you go down that list, most people will be almost, uh, they won't be able to respond in a way that's responsive enough for you to really understand that because they never thought about that. Yeah. Much less look at your 2.0. Yeah. You know, it's usually very general, like, yeah, I'd like to be a whatever, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to be an actor. I'd like to be, uh, I'd be in a movie. I'd like to uh, own um, a house that's 5,000 square feet. I want to be married. But th to look at it holistically and just instead of just those little snapshots is, is not something that most people think about. It's interesting that your uh, firm and you take the approach of, hey, let me help them understand and identify their 2.0. Because that's where you're shooting towards. Well, that's that's what the firm did with me. So coming into training, uh, that was the first thing I did with my success coach was kind of take a week to define my 
Devin 2.0. Yes. And they took the time to do that with me and in the way that they would do it with the client. Yeah. So we used the same tools. And I mean, I kind of geeked out. I would take them home to my wife and do them with her. And I learned a lot about things with her that just it deepened our relationship. Sure. So, um, you know, just um, like a lot of professionals will say, you eat your own cooking or et cetera. Right. Um, I kind of drank the Kool-Aid, I mm -hmm. will say. And um, it's it's just, yes, I in every case I've come up against, the advice we can give is just unparalleled. And it's because I think we just take the time um, again, which we, we said it can be a, you know, a strategic advantage now as a business. But yeah. um, it is true, truly because of the experience and the, the way that our firm approaches things is we're one firm, one voice. So if I approach a client, um, you know, I'm not required to know it all. I have an entire team behind me sure. that I'm basically the one to bear that and bring that to the clients. So we take like a boardroom approach and can really help any complexity you think of, think of us as a think tank. And we can take that and run with it and model it out to the nth degree and come back with some really key insights and and, and scenarios to show somebody to really make meaning of, you know, what these things are going to be to them, because yeah. otherwise it, it just gets very lost and you can't align, you know, what you're doing with what your beliefs are. So my, the thing that I love is our framework we developed. We did a whole research piece on, right. There's, there's really two places your, your money we focus on is, you know, your core and your surplus. Mm -hmm. So the money you need to sustain your life and then the money you need to do the things you want to do when you want to do that. Yeah. Right. Um, so we can really make sure clients know that going in, especially in their trajectory and their plan of when they want to exit. So you you, so you, we can, you have a, a definition for prime, your financial prime for your clients. Exactly. And your definition of financial prime is that model you just described. And and you uh, that is the financial 2.0 for your clients. Yeah. And you help them get there. Exactly. Yeah. We, you know, everyone has their fancy tool, but I would say uh, to take that and then add the complexities into it with the succession planning, the trust in the states, and how that will will all, from a tax and risk angle, uh, you know, drizzle down. Mm -hmm. We can do that type of complexity um, and and really make it again meaningful for the family in a way that again we our goal is to make this last for generations. They can go take that and work with anyone because they've got the plan in place. Yeah, you know, uh, I heard someone say that the difference between a rich person and a wealthy person is pretty pretty clear. Yeah. And uh, a rich person is someone who has a lot of money. Yeah. Um, uh, and a wealthy person is someone who has a lot of money and doesn't have to spend any of it. Yeah. Um, and their children doesn't have to spend any of it. And their grandchildren doesn't have to spend any of it. And their great-grandchildren doesn't have to spend any of it. They can just live off of the, uh, the passive income that's coming from it. Uh, you know, which reminds me, my definition of financial prime is is similar to that, but I, I look at it as three buckets. One bucket has to be your monthly expenses bucket. The other bucket has to be your fund bucket, and the other bucket has to be your investment bucket. And if your in investment bucket is full enough where the passive income coming from that covers your monthly expenses and your fund bucket mm -hmm. and still has money to 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 grow and build the fund bucket, the, the yeah. investment bucket, exactly. I think you're in good shape. No, that's very similar to so we kind of bucket out almost the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, because yeah, you 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 have to really align, right? Like the goals with those different things. And so I love that approach. Um and um there's there's actually a, an accounting model now that um is pretty cool called profit first yes. that um it aligns with that same yeah, same I, methodology. I, I read the book. I read the book, yeah. Okay. So yeah. yeah. Take take what do you say? Take out twenty percent of the uh, of, of of the profit from the business, and you put it in an account that you don't have access to without making yep. an effort. Yep. Go clear across, of course, with the internet and things like that. Everyone has access to everything, <laughs> and I don't know if that's good or bad because you can, you know, do, you know, you're, you're, you're tempted to do things um, when you when you're giving an opportunity. Yeah. So let's transition a little bit more uh, now. We've talked a little bit about your background, fascinating background. Thanks for sharing that. We've talked about. Um, your your transition from college to work and how that first job and that first relationship was so pivotal uh, for you to uh, develop the skills that you need, gain the, uh, acquire the knowledge and, um, and and really get the experience that you need. So you're going through this apprenticeship program basically, yeah. in order to become 
um, a master at what you do. And then you have this opportunity to pivot into this larger firm that you're in right now that aligns with your belief system, with your values. Um, it's a tribe that you feel that you can belong to and you like the culture within the tribe. Uh, and, and it really feeds into your aspirations and help you make asp uh, progress towards achieving your aspirations and certainly helps you do your, your jobs and reduces some of the pains that you have and, and, and help you get some of the gains. That's, that's, that's a core issue. What about some trends that you've seen in the industry as it relates to small and medium-sized businesses or even athletes? Um, or entertainers? What are some of the trends that you see in the financial market that they need to pay attention to? I know I hear a lot about winter is here or winter is coming. Sure. And so you've got to prepare for winter. Um, what's what's the, the data looking like from your point of view? Yeah, I mean, there's there's just a lot of you know uncertainty. And it goes to say it's kind of been like that now for a little while. And um, if you th think back to the, the last decade, how much volatility and uncertainty we had um, it, it really doesn't seem like it when you look back at what returns the stock market has produced. So one of the things, um, you know, we're very conservative. We actually just got hit, um, by a couple media outlets on how conservative our outlook is for the market going mm -hmm. forward, but pretty similar to, um, you know, Warren Buffett and, um, uh, John Bogle from Vanguard kind of said, you know, don't expect the market to do more than 5% going forward. Um, I think that's that's what we're seeing, too, is there's just a lot of concern around inflation with where rates are. It's put a lot of pressure on that in, that that whole cycle that we're, we're in right now. So that's what's producing a ton of volatility that it's going to take some time for this to shake out. So we're really low on our expectations when it comes to forecasted growth, especially um, U.S. and global, uh, just because of all the pressures around inflation, et cetera. But um, there is a, a further road ahead. I mean, the market is extremely resilient. Even today, we're up almost 20% for the year. So our core advice is to stay invested, mm -hmm. right? Because even just missing 13 days out of a 20-year period, you, you can miss all the gains. So there's a really big reason to be thoughtful in your allocation long-term uh, minded and, and not make, you know, rash decisions and moves. Um, but there's, there's great performance out there in bonds today. And, and that's one of the things that has been great with the resilience now that it's coming out of the banking sector and the financial sector, as much as it. Are you saying grand. that this is a good time to look at your, your investment dumbbell and, and rebalance it? Yes, this is always a great time. I would say, you know, constantly, especially with the run up we've seen, um, you know, the concerns of future taxation. Um, it's just you don't want to let these things go to the, the the side and then think back, wow, I actually had such a great opportunity then. So it's worth always sitting down with a professional talking about um, on the same page with your accountant and your financial advisor, if you can get them there, um, you know, to really be thoughtful around those decisions. Because, yes, there's especially for, for a lot of clients who have had success um, once they've sold the business, even the charitable side, things you can do before end of year. Um, but, yeah, the one big thing we've been seeing today, right, with interest rates shooting up, a lot of people have been hoarding cash. Yeah. And so. The, the negative is, especially for business owners that you and I work with, a great rate. I mean, we're one of the highest money markets today, five and a quarter percent on our cash. But um, after taxes for our clients are walking away in the sub threes. Yeah. So something meaningful is actually adding some duration, nothing crazy, but just um, looking at like municipal bonds yeah. is a really big opportunity today. There's been a lot of displacement because um, that's an inefficient market, right? The U.S. stock market is efficient. Candidly, very efficient would be one you would almost want to be more passive on. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's certain markets you can really find displacements like the alternative sector. And that's where kind of like answering your question, it, it's looking great for the small, middle-sized companies now. Um, just because the institutional funds have dried up, they're looking for places to deploy capital. They have mandates to deploy them. So a lot of the smaller companies now are really looking attractive. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to really continue to be, I think, a strong period for businesses who are resilient. You know, they have good 
planning teams around them. And um, yeah, I, I, we're still seeing deals get done and, you know, maybe a little smaller than we saw the previous year, but it's, um, it's definitely still a good market and it's going to continue to be. What do you say to those people who are going, you know, uh, you know, I, I have an E-Trade account or I have a, a Meditrade account or, sure. or whatever. And what are these guys doing that I can't do myself? Um, I, I would say there's quite a bit. It, it's all, you know, resources. Again, um, having the insights and the research of, let's say, you know, like from a stock picking standpoint, our U.S. strategic fund, uh, Sri Sangvi is without a doubt, probably one of the, the big top geniuses around stock picking out there. And um, on an after tax basis has outperformed the S&P 500 for a long period of time. And um you know, he sits down every single day with different companies, and a number of them, all public, to really get the transparency of what they're seeing, they're talking about, right? These concerns of inflation and the impact. And so I would say there's definitely, even in the S&P and the stock market, ways to take that advice and still do better. Um, but for us, it's our clients that we're working with predominantly their quest, their concerns aren't, you know, am, am I going to have enough? Um, we we kind of figure that out on, on the road that they're on, but it's more or less, um, you know, what am I missing? And what don't I know? That What questions should I be asking um, that maybe no one's ever sat down and asked them? And, and, so, and, and that's, 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 a, that's a good point. Um, uh, and, and so to the people out there who don't have financial advisors or wealth managers or people who, who uh, work in your sector, um, a good question is, what is it that I don't know? Yeah. And what am I not seeing? And how can I actually know what I don't know? And is there people who know what I don't know in the sector? Um, and so tell us, how does someone get a hold of you? So um, I'm accessible by phone. Uh, my cell phone number is 407 873 7456. So I like just pick up the phone, speaking with someone directly, whatever their challenges are. Um, you know, again, we don't charge for all the work we do in advance of, of working with business owners. So always happy to be an ear, um, put someone in your network that can be uh, you know, helpful. Um, and then my email is, is my first name, Devin, D-E-V-I-N dot Patel, P-A-T-E-L at Bernstein.com. And um, if you have a little more you want to put down and send before we chat, that also works too. So. Well, good. Well, Devin, thank you so much. I appreciate you spending the time. It was fascinating to get to know you a little bit more um, and understand your journey. What a fascinating journey it has been. And I'm sure there's a lot more to that journey to come. Um, I, I, I know that the um, uh, small and medium-sized businesses that uh, view these podcasts will find the information that you provided extremely valuable. And, uh, you know, and hopefully uh, they'll ask those questions themselves and they go, well, maybe this is a guy who can help me answer those questions. Thanks again. No, thanks for having me. Thank you uh, for joining us in this episode of Private Corporate Council uh, podcast with Devin Patel. Uh, we look forward to seeing you the next time. Please continue to listen to our podcast to learn more. Contact us at 877-647-7887 or email us at info at pcc.law to learn more about the Private Corporate Council program and how we can help you and your business on your journey to success.